0: is where we continue the mission of spreading the good news. It sets the tone, it lays the foundation for everything that we are called to do as Christians, as the church. And it sets some great examples. And in many cases, in most cases we'll see, is especially what we've seen lately, it sets the bar pretty high for boldness. It sets the bar pretty high for the courage and the willingness to get uncomfortable for the sake of sharing the good news. So today we have transitioned over or continued uh, more or less into the, the, the missionary journey of Paul. And now we've seen three times different locations that Paul has gone to to share the gospel. And we see that when he begins to share the gospel beyond his comfort zone, That it's received in the same pattern. Paul shares the gospel. People are willing to hear. But then there's some rejection that goes on behind the scenes. And then they're ran out of town. But after that happens, Paul continues. The the word of God is still alive where they shared it. And they continue. They're going to go on anyway. In spite of the persecution that's happening, they go on with their mission. They go to the next town, share the good news, tell about Jesus. It begins with a receptive tone. Then rejection comes pretty hard. And they get ran out of town, but they go on anyway. And today we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas share the good news, that it's received, it's taken in a way that uh, is not intended. They start to, or they're, they're receptive of it. It gets rejected. And not only are they ran out of town, they are nearly stoned to death, as Paul is. So, so now they're in this town. They've been traveling around. If you're, if you're with us for the first time today or missed a few, a few weeks and you're here, we are in Paul's missionary journeys. He's traveling through these towns, sharing the good news with everyone. And we're in this city now, uh, this town of Derby and Lystra, right? It's the Lyconian towns, as they'll call it, uh, that they've traveled to. And they continue preaching the gospel there, even though they were just ran out of Iconium, right? The town of Iconium. They ran out. It doesn't matter. They knock the dust off their feet. And they keep going in spite of being chased. And we're going to see that they are literally chased out of town. And what happens here, they just keep on with their mission. Let's read the scripture and let's let God lead us through it and see what he has for us and unpack what's in his word today. So in chapter 14 of Acts, we're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 20. I'll start in verse 7. We can jump into 8 there. Verse 7 says, there they continued preaching the gospel. In Lystra, a man was sitting without strength in his feet. He had never walked, and he had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul, standing, or said in a loud voice, "Stand up on your feet." And he jumped up and began to walk around. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And they were shouting that. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates, because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you and we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what was good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. And then even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowd's from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After disciples gathered around him, he got up, went into the town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Let's pray over his word, and let's talk about it. Father, today... We thank you for the word that's before us. We thank you for this journey we've been on through Acts. And Father, we know that your word is alive and living. And Father, I pray that it speaks to us and we have receptive hearts to hear it, to find application in our lives, and to be committed, courageous, and willing enough to be obedient to what you speak and tell us to do today. Father Day, I pray you speak through me and you guide us in what you would have us do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this scripture we have, we start with the scene of a lame man. A man that is from birth never been up to walk on his feet. Never been mobile. Has had to be carried literally every place he needed to go. He was not self-sufficient. And he had been depending on everyone his entire life. In many cases, if you didn't have family that was capable, you would literally starve to death because you were not able to do those things, to take care of yourself. So Paul begins preaching in Lystra, right? He takes, he, he just leaves Iconium, they run him out of town, a mob is essentially put together and they, they knew that they were about to be stoned, persecuted So Paul and Barnabas pack their things and go to the next town that have receptive ears. So when they go to the next town, they start right off the bat. They don't hesitate at all. And they begin speaking. They talk. Uh, to to the people in Lystra and when they are sharing this this man is sitting before them and Paul is speaking and while Paul is speaking he notices this man and I was talking to the kids here if you were listening the man doesn't say a single word but yet Paul notices through body language through the way he is intently focused on what he's saying that this man wants what we are sharing on behalf of Jesus. Do you know that when you communicate that only 7% of communication, listen this, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, but it does have value and truth. 7% of what you're saying is transferred through words, the words that you say, 53%. No, excuse me. 55% this study says that 55% of what we communicate comes through our body language. 55% what we communicate when we're in a one-to-one conversation or in a scene just like right now or however you're speaking in a group of friends, 55% comes through body language. 38% comes through your tone of voice. It's not even what you say. It's how you said it. You ever been in a... You ever been in, a, uh, in an argument and you had that said to you? It ain't what you said, it's how you said it to me. But I said I love you. Yeah, but you were mean, you said it. Right? I love you has all the value, but it, didn't, it did not hold any anyway weight compared to how you said that, right? So your tone of voice and your body language accounts for 93% of what you communicate to the other person. Your words? Your words? Not so much. So in this, that holds true. As Paul is there, he doesn't have to say anything. Your actions. Your actions, your body language spoke. And this man was obvious that God spoke through Paul. And Paul... Uh, after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, went and did his thing. Now, let me, let me back up just a bit. When Paul, as they, as they continued preaching in verse 7, it says uh, they continued preaching the gospel. It did not say, and we're going to see in this previous scene where we are now, they came and they continued performing miracles. It does not say that they came to teach people about Jesus. It says that they came to preach. You see, teaching and preaching, they, they're, they're different. Although there are some things that correlate with one another, teaching is the transfer of knowledge from one person to another. It's just a transfer of knowledge. God doesn't tell us to do that. The Word tells us to preach, which is, which has the intent To change people. It's sharing news, the good news, with an underlying or overarching purpose of convincing (laughs) the truth. And and convincing people to believe in the redemptive promise of salvation. And that's what they were doing. They were encouraging and uh, convincing people about Jesus. Jesus. Not for their own sake. They get nothing out of this. They get nothing out of this. They're not paid to do this. But they know God has called them to do just that. So as they're preaching, he heals this man. Look what it says he does. This man, who just makes this important transition, right? He is someone who is hearing about the works of Jesus to someone that is hearing to believing. That it's about and for him. I think a lot of us get hung up on this, thought, this right here. right? We hear about Jesus and we don't process it to the point where we realize that this Jesus, this salvation, this redemption is for me. It's for, for me. Not just for those who are out there that, that it applies for special purposes. It's for me. It's not a feel-good story that we can go and share with someone else so that it helps us sleep better at night. This redemption is specifically for me. We hear about it, we process it, and fully believe that it's for us. And that's what this man does. He hears and he believes it's for him. And if you can imagine the power of his body language, Paul was convinced There was something about this man's faith that was so evident and clear. So Paul said in a loud voice, he knew it. He stopped what he was doing and preaching. And in that moment, he said, stand up on your feet, stand up. And that man jumped up and began to walk around. A miracle happened before the eyes of everyone. This man stands and is healed. So when the crowds... This is a crowd that happened, saw what Paul had done, they shouted. Okay, so when, this, when miracles happen, it is like huge news, and it explodes, and everyone in town comes to see it. So it's not just the moment happened, and everybody... So when he was healed, everyone's going around, oh my gosh, did you see what just happened? And they're going and telling their, their brothers and sisters and other friends and the fourth, fifth cousins or whatever. They're sharing it with everyone. And it, and it explodes, and they're all coming to see this man who they've known all their lives has never been able to move, is now up walking around and healed. When this happens, they know that Paul and Barnabas have a powerful message, and they translate it to that these men are powerful men, these men can do miracles on their own. They don't translate it. The way that Paul and Barnabas and God intended. Look what happens. They shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, "The gods have come down to us in human form." Well, when they, when Paul and Barnabas hears this, now the, the Lyconian language is not something that they are able to fully comprehend and understand. They're not trained in this. To fully get what they're saying. So they're hearing these people rejoice at this news that they're sharing. So Paul and Barnabas are like, all right. So they're getting it. They're, they're embracing this. And hey, they're being good hosts to, to us guests here. And they're, they're making a big deal about what's happening. They're treating us pretty good. But what they don't realize. If you put yourself in the shoes of Paul and Barnabas, they're hearing this. They're sharing the the, the good news of Jesus and their goal is that it's received well and that it is received in a point where people rejoice and embrace Jesus. All this is going on and then look what happens. They call Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul Hermes who are these Greek gods, right? Because... Paul was a chief speaker, and Hermes is known to be a great have the gift of, of the golden tongue. And Bar- or Barnabas was known to be a strong, stout figure, so they said, well, he must be Zeus. When this happens, and Paul and Barnabas still hasn't, haven't totally grasped what they're doing because they don't know what they're saying fully, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, they started bringing bulls and wreaths to the gates, because he intended the priest with the crowds to offer sacrifice okay when Paul and Barnabas start seeing these bulls carried into the town and these wreaths hanging on the gates they know that this is a sacrificial ceremony that's about to go down and then it clicks in their minds like oh no we were wrong you're all y'all don't get this This is not what we're trying to share with you. You are taking this the wrong way. It's a red alert moment, like, hold up, right? Hold up. This is not what we're trying to say. The apostles Barnabas and Paul were so furious that they tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd. Now, if you remember, if you know, um, some, some uh, Old Testament stories. You'll remember scenes of tearing of garments or tearing of robes. It's a cust- customary uh, sign of um, great high expression, either intense sadness, intense anger, Sorrow and anger are the the, the two core ones that you'll see in these themes. If you look back in the Old Testament, we'll see some themes in way back in Genesis 37. Right? When you hear the story of Joseph and Jacob. And you remember the scene of where his brothers sold him into slavery. In Genesis 37, 29, it talks about when... Reuben found out that his brothers had sold Joseph off to the slaves. Look at this. And it, it gives us a scene of uh, of this exact moment. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Like, well, I wonder what happened there. He got hung on some barbed wires. Like, no. It was a scene of intense sorrow and anger combined that He ripped his garments, his clothes, and that is customary to show everyone how broken and furious you are. You do not have a wardrobe, like we all do, of piles of clothes that you need to go take a a couple loads to the Goodwill, right? Where we're just loaded up. When we have garments, back then, they don't have many. So it's showing you that, hey, they're so mad that they're willing to tear some of the garments, the very few valuable possessions that they have. So he went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a male goat and dipped his robe in the blood in its blood. That they're trying to fake the death of Joseph, right? So they sent the robe of many colors to his father and said, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it, and it's my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. And look what his father's done, his father did. Then Jacob, his father, tore his clothes, put a sackcloth around his waist, and mourned his son for many days. So, just in that story alone, we see two different men that are tearing their clothes out of sorrow, frustration, and anger. And there are many more different scenes that we see in, in, in Scripture of talking about tearing clothes. And it's a Jewish custom just to do that. So if we go back to the scene where we are today, Paul and Barnabas doing this, it was a sign right off the bat. They didn't have to say anything. When people saw them tearing their clothes, like, oh, hold up. We need to stop what's going on. We need to listen to them because they are intensely angry. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Just uh, so furious in this moment and they realize they've got it wrong and here's what they say. They run into the crowd and they're shouting this. People why are you doing these things? We are people also. We're just humans just like you. We're not, we're not gods. We're not these Greek gods. And we are just sharing, proclaiming good news to you. We're just messengers. We're sharing this good news to turn from these worthless things, what you're talking about, the Greek gods, to the living God. And I love how Paul says this. You are to turn from this and look at, and, and, and to turn your whole heart and your acceptance to the living God. And then he goes to say this they don't quote scripture. But they tell, they, they tell about the power of God and how Hermes and Zeus are so, uh, they don't hold a light to God because God is the creator of heaven. He's the creator of earth and the sea and everything in them, not an imaginary Greek god. And verse 16 says, In past generations, and they start talking about God, and this is what he says to them. He allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. They were so in love with Paul and Barnabas. Or were they? Some of, and some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. Let me, let me back up here. Look what is happening here. These men were so fickle. The crowds were so fickle that they were willing to offer sacrifices and rejoice and be so, uh, have the, a, a sacrifice and, and a ceremony. One moment and the next moment they are literally killing Paul. What a scene change, right? What a scene change. Here's why they, why did, so, the, so the question I had is why did they jump on the bandwagon of calling Paul and Barnabas Zeus and Hermes? that's awful quick, right? Uh, Why would they do that? Well, and and I was studying this, and it's interesting, in the city of Lystra, the town of Lystra, in the Lyconian town, there is this this myth, uh, this um, story about when Zeus and Hermes came in human form and pretended to be just Mere uh, visitors to the city of Lystra, right? And the town did not embrace them. Only an elderly couple accepted them, and everyone else treated them terribly. Did not offer any help, did not offer any food, and were terrible uh, hosts to these visitors in the town of Lystra, right? And so Zeus and Hermes totally wiped Lystra off the map. And that is the big myth that underlies Zeus and Hermes. So the people living, and the legend, that was the word I was looking for, the, 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 the legend that, uh, about Zeus and Hermes, they went to this exact city. So these people were willing to uh, immediately offer love and sacrifice and, and do the greatest uh, ceremony for these two men because they had this underlying fear of this legend of Zeus and Hermes returning in human form. So that is kind of the cross there. Um, and some more proof uh, that this story uh, is real and this, this event did happen. And that's why the men and women of Leicester responded in such a uh, quick way there. So at any rate, they're willing to jump on the bandwagon, all these bandwagoners, and just go for it. And guess. Well, in, in just a quick moment, we see what happens. And we've already read this. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Paul and Barnabas couldn't even convince them to stop. But then these Jews who traveled, literally some would travel hundred plus miles just to make Paul's life miserable. These Jews who were from Antioch that they were in a couple cities ago and then from Iconium, they traveled again and they had this mob that was chasing them literally out of town. They were being chased out of town and into other towns. These Jews were so furious. They said, that's not good enough. We're going wherever they are. And we're going to see to it that they get what they deserve. They're shaking up our whole world. telling us about this Jesus guy, right? So they they find them. These Jews come and they went over the crowds. Telling them that Paul and Barnabas deserve to be stoned for what they're pretending to be. And what they're saying, uh, to shake up everything that they believe in. So, they went over the crowds, and (laughs) the scripture just goes into, hey, they went over the crowds, and then they stoned Paul. On the spot, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. Paul was not dead, obviously. He miraculously survived it. Which is a miracle because stoning was a pretty sure way <laughs> of executing someone. If you're going to stone someone there's the, and you have a crowd of people around, they're going to know if you're still alive or not. Well, they thought that he was dead. In this scene, it's not just they stone him and move on. Let's step back and let's understand the political um, aspects behind this. This is evil personified in this scene because you do not just randomly stone somebody because you don't believe him. You have to go to trial. You have to follow the correct, the correct procedures. You have to go uh, step by step in order for you to not be a murderer. Well, these people just ignored that and they decided, well, we're all going to be murderers and we're going to stone him on the spot and we don't care about the rules. We don't care about the, uh, the consequences that could happen to us. We're just going to murder Paul. And they did. They attempted to murder him. The crowd just went there in that moment, allowed evil to overcome, and attempt to murder Paul. Luckily, Paul miraculously survived. God was in the middle of that. And then the next day, er, thinking he was dead, the disciples gathered. They gathered around him. He It just says he got up. He got up, and he went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas and Derby for Derby so in looking at this this is the scene of where we are Paul gets uh, they they try to murder Paul Paul miraculously survives this murder attempt somehow they're convinced he was dead and some scholars think that he may have died in that moment and God brought him back to life because that is such a sure way of execution whatever God was involved and Paul survived an attempted murder and we're going to see this theme Throughout all of Scripture that Paul survives miraculously, because God's in the middle of that. And it's such a powerful story for us to see that we have a <laughs> we have to be so courageous and so bold, and Paul was someone that we can see as a perfect example for that. But it goes deeper than this. There is this great theme and pattern throughout all of Scripture, and especially in this scene, and ultimately ultimately in our lives. And here's this thing. God does something beautiful. Now listen. God does something amazing and beautiful. But then people reject it. But then, even though people reject it, God goes ahead and does what is beautiful and what is redemptive anyway. God, anyway, completes his purpose. God does something beautiful in, in creation. In the beginning of your time, God creates the heavens and earth and an entire world. Man rejects it. Man rejects it by taking it in their own way, ignoring God's purpose for his world and his creation. But God goes on and he redeems his world anyway and continues creation of something beautiful. God create, gives us his son, Jesus Christ. He offers something beautiful and redemptive to us, but we reject it. The people, we reject it. But God goes on in spite of the rejection of his people anyway (laughs) and redeems his people. God sends Paul. Paul is murdered, attempted to be murdered. He is stoned. And anyway, Paul continues on. Anyway, as Brock comes up. We're going to close I want to share this theme with us. God has created us in his image to do amazing things. We are created beautifully. God has a purpose in our lives, but let's internalize it. Let's, let's realize what we do. We take God's great creation, us, and we put our own purpose on it. We have our own desires and we ignore what God wants from us. God created us to do amazing and beautiful things, but we reject God's creation and God's purpose for our lives. But this is where the good news is. God redeems us anyway. God continues his beautiful purpose in our life. And we can be redeemed if we believe. If we believe. If we fully commit to the truth that Jesus is for us, He died for us so that we may live forever. So I encourage you today. This theme is true and it's true in every one of our lives. But we can choose how that story ends. Do we give our hearts and our life to Christ and submit to his will in our lives? Or do we continue to reject it? And I encourage you today. Don't get stuck at rejecting it god's purpose in your life today you can make that commitment as we worship today i want to ask you to stand we're going to sing together and this is this is the truth this is a uh, god that say never let, go. never let go never let go we're going to sing you never let go let's sing that together